Thank you for joining us for another powerful message from the teaching ministry of Destiny Church. We hope that you'll be challenged and stretched to grow through today's message. But most of all, we hope that you'll encounter the Father's love. If you're in the greater Mobile Bay area, please join us for our weekend worship celebration. Or if you're looking for a church family excited for a revival, please come join us in bringing heaven to earth. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to John chapter 20. And let me just say a big hello to everybody that's visiting with us today. And then uh, uh, we have a lot of people that have uh, gone to visit with their family at their churches. You know, when when you become a grandparent, something about going and being with your kids uh, on Sunday. Of course, I don't understand that yet because I don't have grandbabies. Don't, uh, my, my daughter and uh, son-in-law are here, so don't anybody uh, mess with them about grandbabies because we don't do that with our uh, children. It's like, y'all have kids when you're ready because you got to raise them. We spoil them, you raise them. That's the deal. So John chapter 20, um, let's go ahead and, and get there and we'll dive in in just a second. But thank you so much for worshiping with us today. Thank you so much for celebrating this day uh, with us. And I'm just going to kind of pre, uh, what's the disclaimer, put it out there. This is probably going to be one of the weirdest um, Easter messages that you've ever heard. Uh, But coming from me, that's really not a surprise. Uh, But thank you so much for being with us on Resurrection Sunday. Um, How many of you guys love a good crime show? Anybody like those? I I love crime. I I love drama. I love crime shows. I love mystery. And um, my, my wife is a law and order SVU uh, addict. She is a fan and she'll be, she'll be talking about the characters like they're members of the family, you know? And, uh, and I'm like, I don't know who you're talking about. She's like, oh, you know, and I'm like, okay, yeah, I get it. And, um, so it, I thought it was ironic that I was actually working on the message. Uh, and she comes into the room where I'm working on the message. All right. I'm working on the message. This shows you like the dichotomy of, uh, spirituality when it comes to the message. I'm all in the spirit over here, man. I'm laboring over the message and everything. She comes in with her tater chips and, you know, uh, whatever she, soft drinks and whatnot. And she clicks on law and order SVU. I'm trying to read over in John 20 and Shay's reciting the intro (laughs) to law and order. Pick up that mic Pick up the mic. Pick up the mic. Just come right here, center stage. Center stage. Center stage. I'm gonna forget I, it now that you. Put I'm me just on the gonna spot. give y'all a, a just a little bird's eye view of what's happening in the Stewart household this week on Thursday night, or I don't know when it was, but here's rife in the spirit. In the criminal justice system, sexually based offenses are considered especially heinous. In New York City, the dedicated detectives who investigate these vicious felonies are members of the Middle East Squad known as the Special Victims Unit. These are their stories. So, I'm trying to study and hear from Jesus. Holy Spirit, 
And she over there reciting the law and order special crimes unit intro. And I really never told her what the message was about, but I thought it was so cool because, you know, when Mary goes to the tomb that Sunday morning, and she's going, every, everybody knows the Easter story. There's very few people in the States that don't know the story of the account of Easter and how Jesus was in the tomb. He was resurrected. Mary is on her way to the tomb. But here's the thing. On that Sunday morning when she got there, it was a crime scene. Like, I never thought about the crucifixion and the resurrection like this before. But this morning, I want us to look at this whole account as a crime scene. All right, we're going to dive into uh, John 20 in just a second, but I just want to kind of recap it uh, real quick. Um, so Jesus, cross on Friday, dead and buried. He's in the tomb. He's resurrected. Um, Soldiers fall, uh, you know, dead as if they fainted, you know, but as if they're dead. They wake up, realize he's not there, runs into the city because they've been in, put in charge of the body so that the disciples would not see. They, they had that seven habits, uh, habit number one, uh, down re really well. Begin with the end in mind. They're like, hey, we're going to station some guards there because we know these jokers. We know he ain't going to be resurrected. There's no such thing as that. So let's go ahead and get some guards there so that they can't come steal the body. We're going to begin with the end in mind. But he did you know, resurrect himself. And so they run into the city so that they could get their story together. And all of the Jewish leaders, they came up with this plan. While uh, they're in the city doing that, Mary is on her way to the tomb. As she comes upon the tomb, she finds the door open. In other words, the huge stone that was rolled uh, 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 in front of it was, gone, was rolled to the side. And she didn't even go in. She looked at it and she ran to get the disciples and tell them what had happened. Then uh, the, the disciples uh, run back. And as, as they're running, they get there, they peek inside, you know, they look, they find that he's not there. A couple of angels are there, speak to, to Mary. And then uh, Jesus himself shows up. And so that's kind of the, the short version of it. And I want to now get into this in John chapter 20, and let's just pull out some of this as we look at this crime scene. So in verse number one of chapter 20, early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So she walks up on a crime scene. She walks up and somebody has broken and entered. She walks in and there's a breaking and an entering that has taken place. But I want you to notice something because in scripture, it's important to me that like every little detail that's in scripture is important in some way. Sometimes we know what these things mean and sometimes they are a mystery. There's a mystery in here that really to this day is unsolved and, uh, and really theologians and, and smart people in uh, the faith, they capitulate, they, uh, it's, 
It's just kind of their idea of what might have happened. And I have an idea, but at the end of the day, nobody really knows. And I'll get to that a little bit later. But I want you to understand like these details of like early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene, she was coming to the tomb. And just right there, you could take and you could preach a whole sermon on this. Like, why is it that in the darkest times of people's lives that they find themselves up uh, uh, at the tomb? Like, where things are dead in your life. Why, do, why is it that people wait until things are dead in the darkest times of their life before they go looking for Jesus? Why is that? So she's on her way to the place where things go to die, to rot. Hope dies in the tomb. Dreams die in the tomb. The future dies in the tomb. There's no coming back from that. And many times, it's not until uh, we've lost our job, we've lost our marriage, we've lost our health, we've lost all these things. We're a walking, living, and breathing country music song. We've lost everything. And then we are, we have this reality check of, oh, where's Jesus in my life? Let me find him and let me get him to fix it. Man, I'm telling you, if we can ever get to that point where we can walk with him constantly, inviting him into every area of our life. And so look at verse two. All right, verse two says, she ran and found Peter and the other disciple just... FYI, anytime he's talking like that, it's John. John is just an eccentric character. I'm just saying, there's not too many people that walk around calling him by, his, by third person. You know, Shay, Shay and I went to the supermarket the other day. You know, John would say it like, Shay and the disciple that Jesus loved. You know, I'm like, what a strange guy, you know, but he was one of the apostles. Aren't you glad that Jesus loves and gives platform to weirdos? (laughs) That amen was a little too loud. (laughs) So, so she ran and found uh, Simon Peter and John, the one whom Jesus loved She said, they've taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Resurrection Sunday asks the question. It addresses the question, where is he? Where is he? They thought they knew where he was. They went to look for him where they left him. Where is he? They don't know where he is. And In verse three, Peter and the other disciple, John, by the way, started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple, that's John, the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. All right, so at least he has some respect for the crime scene. Like he's coming up and he's like, dude, He's not in there, but I ain't going in. But look at Peter. (laughs) Peter, he's always the first one. 
He's, a, he's the first one chopping ears off. He's the first one getting out of the boat. And Peter's like, man, get out of the way. <laughs> he probably said, hey, you whom Jesus loved, get out of the way. You know? And he just, he just, now he goes in and he's contaminating the scene of the crime. He goes in and look at what they find. He stooped in and looked and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but, but John didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and he, and he went in and he noticed the linen wrappings lying there while the cloth that covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. So they get there and they begin to see, they're putting together like what might've happened. They still don't know what happened to Jesus' body. And so when they're looking in here, then the disciple who had reached the tomb first, that is John, John, bless his heart. Then he went in and he saw and he believed. And get this, for until then, they had still not understood the scriptures that said, Jesus must rise from the dead. You ever been in a conversation with your wife? And she's like, I told you that. It happens to me all the time. <laughs> and I'm like, no, we didn't, we didn't talk about that. She's like, Rife, I told you that three times. I'm like, wait, what? I, d- I don't remember this. They are putting things together in real time. They don't remember these things. And so they're putting together what possibly could have happened. Where did the Lord's body go? And then look at this. It says, then they went home. Isn't that strange? Like they come, they see Jesus is not there and Barney Five comes out and says, all right, boys, everybody go home. There's nothing to see here. (laughs) He's gone, nothing to see. And they went home and look at this. Then I want you to look at this next one. Uh, Mary, she was standing outside the tomb crying as she wept. She stood and looked in and she saw two white robed angels one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. And dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they've taken away my Lord, she replied. And I don't know where. Everybody say where. Where? Because Resurrection Sunday addresses the question, where is he? He's not here. So if he's not here, where is he? And she's begging these two men that she doesn't necessarily recognize their angels. She's asking them, where is he? Like, we don't understand. We came here. This is disturbing. We came to honor the body. We came to finish uh, the burial because it was done in such haste. But where is he? And then she turned to leave and she saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. And then he said, dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her, who are you looking for? So she thought he was the gardener. And she said, sir, if you have taken him away, please tell me where. Because Resurrection Sunday addresses which question? Where Where is he? She's like, please tell me where he is. I don't know 
where he is. The disciples don't know where he is. I didn't get a straight answer from them where he is. He's risen. What does that even mean? They had never seen a resurrected person. Where is he? Can you tell me where he is? And he says to her, Mary. And she looked and she realized who he was. And she uh, she cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. And then she clings to him evidently because he said, don't cling to me. For I haven't ascended to the father, but go find my brothers and tell them I'm ascending to my father and your father to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. The question of where was answered for her. I have seen the Lord. So now I'm going to, I'm going to fast forward for these other verses so I can get into the meat of the message. So she runs and tells the disciples. There were a few of them that had gathered because the disciples are hiding. Why? Because they have joined a cult. Did you know that we're part of a cult? (laughs) Christianity started as a sect, S-E-C-T, a cult, an offshoot called the way from Judaism. So, It was, you know, a breakaway from Judaism. They were outlaws. Jesus was a criminal who was crucified and executed. They were hiding for fear of their life. They had staked everything on the success that this guy was going to raise to power. But they didn't know that they were thinking of, he's going to come resurrect the government. He's going to come resurrect the political system. He's going to come put my political party back in place. That's what they were thinking. But he's like, he told them his whole time, that's not my kingdom. That's not my kingdom. Some people, we need to learn. God's going to work through Caesar. He's going to work through Joe Biden. He's going to work through uh, Jim McGillicuddy, uh, president in 2028, you know, I mean, he's going to work however he chooses to work. He's going to work and he's going to accomplish his mission and his vision for the kingdom. If we'll only get, get in line with that and not worry about all this other stuff. But they are just coming to the realization that they've been focusing on the wrong thing. Last week when Alan was preaching, you know, they thought, oh man, this is it. This is it. This is it. This is the big, the campaign starting. (laughs) We are this close. He's like, that's not, I'm not of that kingdom. I've come to start a new kingdom. Looks totally different from that kingdom. And so they're hiding. Mary runs back to tell them and she, the few that are there, she tells them, but they're not all there. And so Jesus, he appears to them, but he comes back a few days later and he appears. And Thomas, where we get the whole doubting Thomas thing, Thomas, Jesus walks in and Thomas, Jesus is standing there. But you have to understand that Jesus did not look like the pre-crucifixion Jesus. He looked like the glorified Jesus. That's why Mary did not recognize who he was. I mean, my God, she just saw him a couple of days ago. 
Are you following me? She just saw him a couple of days ago. How could she not know who he was? But my son-in-law and I were talking. We talk a lot from time to time about movies. And he was telling me, he's like, dude, there's this makeup artist that does this amazing makeup. And he said, you know, you know this particular actor. And he called his name. And he's like, I want to show you what he looks like in this upcoming movie. He shows me a picture of him. And he's just completely unrecognizable. Because of all, you know, what I'm saying. So that is the experience that Mary is having here. Jesus shows up, but she doesn't recognize him. When he shows up to the disciples, he just walks right into the room with them. They don't all recognize him. And Thomas is like, I don't even know this guy. Who is this? I tell you what, I will not, I will not believe until I have felt the marks of the nails in his hand and I can put my hand in that place in his side where they stabbed him while he was was on the cross and Jesus says come and feel this now do you remember what Mary said when she left and she had seen Jesus all right let's rewind just a little bit she had seen Jesus she recognized him he wasn't the gardener but he was the glorified Jesus he looked different and she went to the disciples and she said I have seen him but this is what Jesus says to Thomas she was blessed because she saw him but Jesus says to Thomas he said Thomas goes my Lord and my God when he felt because he's like oh my God you have all the marks you really are Jesus and he believed and Jesus said to him Thomas Blessed are those who have seen with their own eyes and believed. See, it doesn't take a lot of faith for you to see it and believe it because the evidence right in front of you. He said, I tell you, but there are generations that are going to come after you, Thomas, that are going to believe and they have not even seen. And there is a greater blessing coming on those generations. Guess who's part of that generation? You and me are part of that generation because we've not seen him. We've not touched that olive skin, that, that, that beautiful skin uh, of the Jews that they have. You know, we've not seen those eyes. We don't know what color his eyes are. We don't know, you know, how he actually looks. We just have, uh, you know, concepts of what we believe Jesus looked like. But guys, there's one day that every person, believer and non-believer, is going to look eyeball, eyeball to eyeball with the Savior, and we're going to see him, and we are going to believe then. The, peer, the, the, the point is not believing too late. Not believing too late. And so I want you to look at this real quick. This crime scene, the evidence begins to add up at the tomb. You've got the breaking and the entering. Somebody broke in and stole that body. Or at least that's what they thought. This is a potential crime scene. You had a missing body. We know we saw the body go in there. We prepared the body for burial. We, we, we saw them close the door. But it's missing. And so now you have a missing body. There were conspiracy theories that were circulating. Y'all know about some conspiracy theories, don't you? Conspiracy theories, they're nothing new. They didn't start with this and they won't end with uh, today. We're always going to have conspiracy theories. And here's the thing. 
Both sides had conspiracy theories and both sides were wrong. Mary had her conspiracy theory. When she went and talked to the disciples, she said, they've taken the body. The Romans, those sorry scoundrels have taken the body, but they didn't. And then the Romans, they run into town and they get with their superiors and they're like, we got to come up with a story, man. We got to say that, man, while we were asleep. How are they going to roll a stone away and not wake them up? So you got conspiracy theories that are being concocted because there is a missing body. And one side doesn't want a missing body because they want to go there and worship their dead Lord. Doesn't that sound ironic? They wanted to be able to go there and mourn and pay respects to their dead Lord. So we need a body to do that. The other side doesn't want the body to be gone because now he becomes a martyr. They didn't want that. So you got these conspiracy theories. But not only that, you have unanswered questions. Where is he? He's risen. Well, if he's risen, where is he now? Who took him? How, who rolled the stone away? You got all these unanswered questions. It's a mystery. Then you have eyewitnesses that knew what happened. The angels saw what happened. They actually told her what happened, but she's in such a state of hysteria that she doesn't comprehend that they just, he's like, woman, we just told you, calm down. We just told you he is not here. He is risen. And she's fanatical. She's crazy. Y'all know, some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Crazy woman, man. She's, she's beside herself. So you, you have these eyewitnesses that have said, this is what's happened. You have burial garments. Now, this is something that's a mystery to me. And I want to warn you, like when you find stuff, there are certain things that sound good on the intranet. But everything on the internet is not gospel and it's not biblical. It's not contextual. It's not, it, it's not always accurate. And man, you could get up and I'm telling you, I could flat out preach this. I could throw down TD Jakes on this because it is good, but it's conjecture. And I can't, preach conjecture what I think happened I I can tell you but I can't preach that as the gospel because this is the only thing we have to go by and there are times that you and I are going to have to be okay with I don't know I don't I don't know and if we if God wanted us to know he would have put that in there and we would have known but there's something about the evidence that was left behind that to me is intriguing. That's probably the most intriguing part of this whole thing. When they get there, they find the garments, like the mummification type 
uh, strips of cloth that were laid there. And so when they get there, they, they find these, you know, these strips of cloth that were, that were just laying there. But the scripture says that they were just kind of, you know, they were just kind of laying there, you know, some, some probably all over the place. But there was this part that covered the head. And it, it, was, it wasn't just, it wasn't just scattered all over. It was folded neatly. So they get there, they peek inside, and it's like, you know what? What's, you know, the garments? But then you have the part that covers the head. And, you know, this, the English translates it into handkerchief, but it could have been something that sort of looked like a pillowcase. And they would, they would put it over the head. It was a separate covering. Why, why do you think they would do that? Because on our body, let's be honest, on our body, what is, generally speaking, the most important part to us? what? Our face. This is the part that we spend the most time fixing and primping. I don't have to do a whole lot because it just looks this good all the time. But there's something special about the head. There's something special, significant. And so I'm like, why? And I read this thing on the internet and it's like, I, I'm not going to go into it. You can go find it yourself if you want to. But Christians pass around stuff as if it's truth. And it's like, when I read it, I had never heard it. And I'm like, I'm like ooh, Jesus. Spirit of T.G. Jakes just came all over me. I'm going to preach it, preach it, preach it. I'm going to preach it. And, uh, and then, because what every good teacher wants to do, what, is, what does every good teacher want to do? Erica, when we preach something, we want to document it. We want to know that, like, what, so where does this come from? You know, if you're a teacher, you don't just get up and say, well, you know, this is blah, 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 blah. And it's like, so where did you get that information? What's your documentation? Where's your source? So I immediately, I'm going like, dude, this is so awesome. I'm like, woo, this is going to be so good. Just this one part of the message is amazing. And I go to begin to look for a source. So I begin to go to all of my study guides and all of the, the things that I use to study scripture. And it's nowhere in Jewish custom, but it's presented like, well, in Jewish custom, see, I could get up and say, well, statistics show that blah, blah, blah. Really, what's the source of that? Who did the study? You can't just throw it out. But when you say, well, statistics say that 45%, well, it sounds so amazing and official. And if I had come up here and said, well, you know, in Jewish custom, well, you don't know all Jewish customs. I don't know all Jewish customs. We're not experts in Jewish customs. This sounded good, but I'm not going to preach it to you. Now I done got y'all all excited and y'all want to go find out what it is. It tries to answer a mystery. 
And sometimes you just have to be okay with saying, I do not know why this thing, why Jesus, he's coming out of his grave clothes, however they ended up. Those were obviously disheveled when they came and looked in, but the part that covered the head was neatly folded and placed right there. Hmm. Things that make you go, wonder why. Y'all ever read that in scripture and wondered why? Well, that little thing, Diddy, that I was telling you about on the internet, it explains it. But it's conjecture. It's somebody's idea of what might have happened. And I can tell you some ideas, but it doesn't mean that that's what it is. And that's probably one of those questions I'm going to ask Jesus when we get to heaven. So what was up with that cloth, man? Because <laughs> you left behind some clues at the crime scene. Like, you know, Jesus, he's like, I'm out of here. Going to the father, I got to go, swing by hill first, preach to some captive, get the keys to death hell in the grave. I'll be back up here and roam around for a little bit. You know, been seen over about 500 plus people, you know, after his resurrection. And then he, then he ascends. But it's like he left some clues behind. And I don't know why, but this is important, guys. This is important. It's an important clue. And the only thing, and again, this is not scripture, the only thing that I can think of is like, you know, Jesus, he's leaving and like in about 50 days, he's going to pour his spirit out. You know what I'm talking about? Pentecost. He's like, in about 50 days from now, I'm going to pour my spirit out. This is when you need, this is when you be black person on the organ. Y'all, y'all, pray, y'all pray for us. We don't want a white organist. Y'all pray for us, a black organist. This is when you need one. You need them right there. Well, come on, Sister T. Preach it, sister. So in 50 days, we're going to celebrate Pentecost. That's on the day when Holy Spirit was unleashed into the earth and the ecclesia, the church of the living God was born on that day. I just, I don't know. I just wonder if Jesus was leaving this clue behind that said, hey, I'm gone. I'm on my new assignment. But I just want y'all to know that in 50 days, Holy Ghost is going to be poured out. The church is going to be born, and I am the head of it. Just want y'all to know. Just leave y'all a little clue. Now, that's not scriptural, but it sounds good to me. And it's not anything that desecrates scripture, so I'm going with that. And then the last thing is the body shows up. Are you kidding me? Like, listen, this is amazing because most of the time you see them, they're talking into that thing, that little radio on their, on their shoulder like this. Brian Smith knows what I'm talking about because he wears all that stuff. But it's like, y'all, we found a body. 
Normally, when they find the body, it's mutilated and dead somewhere. We found a body over here. Blah, blah, blah. I don't know. What do y'all say to make it sound so official? <laughs> I, I can't do it, but it's... Anyway, <laughs> the angels are like, yo, we got the body over here. <laughs> Jesus shows up, but this body is not dead. It's walking around. Jesus shows up. This is such a perfect crime scene. It's a potential, but it's really not a crime scene. I want you to look at this. The evidence at the tomb begins to add up. Is it a crime? It's not a crime, man. It's not a crime. This is premeditated all the way. The evidence begins to show up. Look at John 20. We already read this, but John 20 and verse 8 and 9 says, the disciples who had, the, the, then the disciple who had reached the tomb first um, went in and he saw and believed. For until then, they had not understood the scriptures that Jesus had said he must rise from the dead. This whole three years that he's with them, he's been telling them this. But they are so hell bent, they're not heaven bent. They are so intent on him setting up an earthly kingdom that when he was speaking heavenly truths to them, they did not hear it. And when you go back and you read this, you look and in John 2, 19, Jesus answered, destroy this temple and in three days, I'll raise it up. Woo! He, he, he's telling them this all, all along. In John 10, 18, he says, no one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily for I have the authority to lay it down and I have the ability to raise it back up again. Like he's been saying this the entire time and they still have not remembered this. But when they saw these cloths, when they saw the empty tomb, it begins to come back to him. Then you got this cloth thing, this little clue. It begins to add up. Then you have Jesus. He turns up. It's adding up. Mary turned to leave and she saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Everything is happening. Y'all see in the uh, crime movies where they start having these flashbacks? This is what's happening. They're having these flashbacks. They're, they're going like, oh my God. Remember that time he said, destroy this temple in three days. Do you remember that time he said, I'll give you, I'll give you no sign but the sign of Jonah. Jonah in the belly of the well for three days. Then he was like, oh my gosh. They're having all these flashbacks. Mary is like, you know, can you tell me where he is? Flash. Oh my God, it's you. Like having, it's adding up, it's making sense now. And the resurrection proves Christ's identity and that life after death is a reality. Look, you don't have to do anything to live forever. You don't have to do anything to live eternally. Every person is going to live eternally. We will all live forever somewhere. There is a living God in heaven, a loving, living God, and he does not send one person to hell. How could a loving God send people to hell? No, my friend, a loving God creates a place where you and I can live with him forever and there is a way to get to him. So how can I do this whole thing, Pastor Rife, 
Listen, how can you take this message today and put this into action? You can do it by accepting Christ as your Savior. Can I just tell you something about Christ as Savior? This is going to stick with me because this is going to mess you up theologically for a minute. So you got to listen with ears to hear and let me unpack it for a minute. Jesus is everybody's savior. He is even the savior of people who never believe in him. All right, you with me? So Jesus, how can I say that? Because the scripture says Jesus is the savior of the world. Like Jesus has already saved the world. It's already done. He has saved the world. He's not my savior. Well, that's not Jesus' fault. That's the person who says that's fault. He is already the savior positionally, but personally, he may not be somebody's savior because they've not invited and entered that relationship. So you can apply this by making him savior. But man, I'm just telling you, that's where most of Christianity stops. And it's like, am I going to hell or heaven? You're going to heaven. Whew, thank you, Jesus. I'm done. You know what? That is a very selfish, one-sided relationship. When you make eternity all about you. Because let me tell you, eternity is not all about us. It is some about us, but it's a lot about Jesus. And when you just make him your savior so that you don't go to hell, man, that's just one-sided and it's shallow. And there's this second part that is called committing to making him Lord. Lord says, hey, I'm going to go somewhere in this relationship. I'm going to develop this relationship. In just a few weeks, two to be exact, I'm going to start a series called, Who Is He? Because Resurrection Sunday addresses the question, where is he? But now that we know where he is, like, who is he? Once you receive him as Savior, then who is he to you? What does he become? And I want you to be a part of that series and come learn how to make him Lord of your life. And so I want to move into a time of communion as we kind of close our worship time out today. And during this time, if the musicians and singers, if they'll come, um, I just want to ask you this, like on Resurrection Sunday, for us, there are different people in the room. Like we're all at different journeys. We're all at different places in our, our journey. We may be on the same journey, but we're all at different places. Maybe there are some people who have not started the journey, like you've never 
really made any decision to follow Christ. But then there are people that he is your savior. You accepted the Lord and you believe that he is your, uh, or you accepted him as savior and uh, you, you believe in him as the son of God and you believe he's seated at the right hand of the father. You believe he's coming back again. You believe in all of that stuff, but it's really just kind of theology that you believe. You really don't practice the faith. In other, like in Judaism and Catholicism and some of those places, we call those or, or they call those high holy days. Like the people that go to church on high holy days. In Christianity, uh, it's typically Easter and Christmas. And could I just be a little transparent with you for a second? I absolutely get a little bit of a sick feeling in my stomach at Christmas and Easter every year. And the reason that I get that feeling in my stomach is that um, we commercialize the two most significant days in all of our relationship with God. And I struggle with that. I used to be a part of that. I used to do that. And I'm like, I've just got to where I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to. Y'all can, the pastor that pastors destiny after me can do that, but I'm never going to do that. We're never going to have Easter's where it's like Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Resurrection Sunday, come and get your free, you know, chameleon chocolate Easter eggs for your kids. Gorge till you're dead. You know, like, we're just not gonna, we're not going to do it. Because, and and, and please hear me, because somebody will hear this and, and they will go, oh, I know he's talking about such and such church. No, I'm not focused on them. I am focused on destiny. I'm not focusing on another church. I'm focusing on this church family. And I want you and me as we celebrate the resurrection, I want it to be personal. I want it to be endearing. And I want it to be life changing. Because listen, it doesn't matter what free gift you give away to the kids. It doesn't matter how many folks are in the building or, you know, uh, if you have, uh, you know, a resurrected Jesus coming out of the tomb, flying across the audience on a zip line. What matters at the end of the day are people who come to know the Lord and live it out. And... And in the U.S., we have focused more on people coming to the Lord than we have living it out. The first is just your foot in the door. The second is the riches of life. The riches of life.